Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of this podcast. I don't really ever know how to start them. I kind of, okay, so after this episode, I think I'm going to do a solo episode um, just to fill you guys in on what's been happening in my life. Obviously, I feel like I don't have enough time to kind of like cap everything in for like, you know, 10 minutes of every episode and whatever. So I'll just make that like its own thing. Um, but I'm so excited to have this guest on. She is a comedian. She's a writer for Letter Kenny. She's an actor. She's one of my best friends in comedy. Um, I feel like every episode has been so much fun. And every guest that I have on, it's just harder and harder to like keep topping it every week. But this this episode, honestly, I feel like is is my new favorite. She's just so knowledgeable in everything that she talks about. And um, it's honestly like inspirational. I'm inspired by the guests that I, that I have on. They are, uh, empowering. Anyway, um, enjoy this episode. And yeah, when I leave my hair curly, I look like a, a judge from no. the 1700s. No, you don't. Yes. You don't. No. <laughs> I, only, I look like, um, one of those, uh, one of the founding fathers of America. Yeah. Yeah. No, you don't. I, you don't. Sorry. Like I, I feel like I'm interviewing an interior designer slash model slash like I, you're giving me literally so like the rattiest shirt. This is my I found this in my boyfriend's like childhood closet. Tomb that's squad. amazing. Wow, that's a cute shirt. I'm so scared my dog's gonna take a shit on the floor <laughs> because she has had like her only the only thing that's been an issue since we adopted her is like she would hold her pee and her poo for like a day and a half and we finally got her to start going regularly and then today she like didn't take a shit for some reason this morning and then as we were signing on to this call my boyfriend was leaving he's like you have to take her out before your call I'm like oh no I can't I, I'm, I'm already late He's like, okay, well, I hope she doesn't fucking shit on the carpet. Oh my, no, take her out, take her out. Like, I, I have so much time. Julian, it could be like an hour. We're, I'm better. We're better off just like recording, and then I'll, I'll take her out later. Okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it, it That's just so cute, though. Oh my god, she's gonna shit. That would be that would make this podcast uh, so much would, more entertaining. Well, buckle up because it might happen. <laughs> okay, and then my other my other annoying thing is that. Yeah. Um, I broke my computer charger and my boyfriend just took his computer charger, but okay. I'm at full charge right okay. now. Okay. Okay. Awesome. That's great. Oh my good. Wow. Al, this is, I mean, how can somebody so beautiful have such a dysfunctional life? I, I don't know. Like crumbling. I'm crumbling. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> oh my God. Um, literally how the hell are you? Because I feel like I haven't seen you in so long. Look at how ghetto this is a lamp oh, on the floor. I broke my, wow. I broke my one table that I have and I haven't oh, replaced no. it. Um, yeah. Cause I was trying to make it like minimalistic vibes and yeah, it was like an old ass thing anyway. And I was like vacuuming, like when I vacuum, I oh. hate it and I get really aggressive about it. And I was like ramming my coffee table and I broke a leg off with the vacuum and I, I haven't replaced it. Well, I didn't even notice. I thought that was a design choice. You thought it was a choice, like a minimalistic uh, approach. Design choice, yeah. That's yeah. literally just homelessness and brokenness. <laughs> How are you? I'm okay. I've literally just like been playing a lot of Scrabble. I yeah. think it's it's really meditative. I can, you know. I love that. Yeah. That's uh, so that's, what makes you smarter. It makes you smarter. Yeah, my brain just revolves around that I have a joke board for no reason oh god don't even get I got one of these shout out to Nora Hadidi who um actually got me on these show me okay look at this oh it's coming apart it's coming apart but I don't know yeah yeah I love that so I have some bits on there just you know just in case shows like come back overnight for some reason also this shirt is amazing no it's really fucking ugly like oh it's not no it's ugly it's like a um i just said it's not i know but that's it's fine it's not i'm giving like i'm not sure what my vibe is today it's like you look like a hot 90s revival girl (laughs) teen beach movie meets um i love it catholic incel great oh my god (laughs) 
um anyway for real your apartment's goals though oh so gorgeous so gorgeous I feel really lucky honestly because like we moved in here in September yeah and uh I went from like having roommates for the last 10 years to living with my boyfriend which is so much more fun obviously um shout out to my roommates I've had like really great roommates in my life but yeah it's just like not the same you can't like you know you can't be nude I, as someone who's never naked I don't even know why I said that <laughs> I, I like hate hate being naked and I hate it so I, don't know. I um know what you mean by that like in the summer I don't I don't even put on a bathing suit to go to the oh. beach like it's the weirdest shit like I don't I don't I do shower that. in the dark you shower in the dark I would I tweeted about this once and it bombed but I would love glow in the dark like shampoo bottles because I, I do I shower in the dark I love it I'm just it, like it's like a womb I feel like I'm in the womb wow that there's so many connections Layers. to me for sure okay yeah. yeah um do you have good dreams or bad dreams in general yeah oh they're usually pretty bad okay yeah, I had a, I actually, my, my whole uh, day was ruined today because of a dream that I had. Do you have like vivid dreams or are they? I have very vivid dreams, but not always. Like it totally depends on what's going on in my life. But have you seen Search Party? No. Okay. So I, I, I literally don't watch movies. Okay. It's a show. But oh, so, okay. <laughs> um, I don't watch movies either. I haven't yeah. seen movies since I was like 13. Yeah. I, uh, don't watch a lot of TV either, which is really funny because I'm trying to like write for television. And I started watching this show that was recommended and I got so addicted and it's like kind of dark. So it was like really, really, really messing with my dreams. I don't know if that happens to you, but it's like- they sp- It spills into yeah. your dreams. Okay. Yeah. I don't have that. I don't have it like spilling into my dreams, but like I will- I'll like have a great day and I'm like this is awesome and then I'll go to sleep and I'll be like I'm always getting chased by somebody with like a knife yeah it's like don't do that (laughs) in real life or in my dreams like leave me the hell alone (laughs) yeah but it's never real people it's always like Matt I never have good dreams I'm never flying I'm never um there's nothing positive I don't like win the lottery like there's nothing like that if there's something good that happens in it it's something that I wish for in my life, but I'm never going to get. And then I wake up and I'm like, oh yeah, just a reminder that I don't have that. Okay. That sucks. That sucks. But I will say that having these dreams, like I usually have dreams that are, um, they're generally about things that are like the deep part of my psyche where I'm a bad person, or maybe it's not that deep. Like those threads of me that are like, not good or have really really disturbing thoughts it's like an explosion of those thoughts in my dream so when I wake up I'm always happy because I'm well happy in the sense that I'm like thank god I didn't do that for real or like thank god that didn't happen for real or that because in because they're not that unrealistic it's not like I'm flying through space or and exploding into a black hole I'm like I'm like hooking up with a guy and then my boyfriend finds out about it like (laughs) weird specific things where I'm like yeah I would never want that to happen you know right okay that makes sense I uh am always yeah getting chased with a knife there was one dream that I had that I will never like there's some dreams that you never forget there was one where I was like floating it was like that Alice in Wonderland thing where she like gets really small and then she like goes into a little bottle but she's like floating the whole time that was me floating trying to run away from like little masked characters from Mario Kart but they had like masks on them you should write this down yeah I should I mean (laughs) there are some things that I first of all do you have a therapist yes of course of course you have a therapist right yeah I actually don't have one friend that does not have a therapist yeah because your friends are healthy no, it's actually, that's a joke and it's judgmental and you can tell me I'm not a therapist, but I'm a huge advocate for therapy. Yeah, uh, we're going to get into that for sure. Yeah. But there's some things that I'm like too scared to tell my therapist because I'm like, I really? feel like if I tell you this, you're going to write me into like, can't, like how like they may at the beginning, they're like, okay, disclaimer. Like if you say anything that's like too right. 
like we have authority to if you're, if you're a danger to yourself or somebody else right yes but I don't think that's I'm, the case. <laughs> right but then I'm like what if I explain this dream to you and there's like she's gonna murder somebody no. so we're gonna <laughs> you should tell her you should tell the therapist yeah I should tell her that too I don't know what she says after yeah um <laughs> she's amazing I don't know what it is I think maybe it's a prop because my therapist is younger mm-hmm. Um, and I want to be friends with her. I'm like this, you seem so cool, but that's right. not, I should, would never say that or act upon um, that, but I'm like, she seems yeah, so she, cool. I mean, she can't, but yeah. you could fire her and then approach her. <laughs> right. Fire her and then find Ruin her. In your life. <laughs> I'm like, just giving you the worst. <laughs> I love my therapist too. She's older, but like, I, I'm, I'm like so scared she's going to retire. And mm. then I'm like, okay, well, I'm not starting over. So this is it. We're either fixing this or I'm, you know. We're in this together. Yeah. I I can imagine like the amount of pressure that you must feel as a therapist. My old, old therapist um, had a flip phone and I literally fired him for that reason. We were like on the phone. He's out of touch with reality. I don't blame you. Yeah. I was like, I feel like having a therapist with a flip phone and being a patient, like we're on the same oh level God. of mental health. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that is deeply problematic. Yeah. That, is, that means that that person hasn't evolved and yeah. they don't, um, they don't have any idea what's going on in the world. Right. It's just like the blind leading the blind at that point, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Although I've never seen my therapist's cell phone. So you've never seen his or her cell phone. My computer was old as fuck. So I didn't even see my therapist. You think, no, my therapist had a flip phone, never used a computer. We never went on zoom. It would just be phone call sessions. And then he cut the session short because, and he was like, he was like, oh, he's like, sorry, I forgot to charge my flip phone. He's (gasps) really old and the battery's going to die. That's so unprofessional. I told that to Catherine Niker and she's like, were you his only client? Like, did he Probably. need money? <laughs> well, clearly he has a phone from the early 2000s. A flip phone, like a yeah. Razor? Like a Motorola? I don't even, I'm picturing those like Nokia brick phones. Can you imagine? He's like a Louis Vuitton, like plastic case that he got from Vaughn Mills or oh something. I don't know. Do you remember the ones that would flip up? Like, I had those. Yeah, that was a big flex. Yeah, yeah that was cool. That was, that was very cool. Yeah, very cool. cool. I just saw my eyes get wide. I look scary. Yeah, that was. I loved that. <laughs> um. Okay. So, <clears throat> tell me about the article that you wrote. Mm-hmm. Um. For mental health, because I just am so intrigued by. First of all, how did you get the inspiration to write it? Did somebody approach you to write um, it, or were you just like, "This is an important issue to me. I want to make more people aware." Yeah. I mean. Well, there's two things. I, I, I'm like a huge advocate of um, therapy and, and I don't think there's like a linear way of doing it. I think every single, per, every single person's approach to therapy is gonna look and feel different. Finding a therapy, finding a therapist is such a daunting task. It's so hard to find somebody good that's reasonably priced. Arts Unite, which is the organization that I wrote this article for is like a very cool resource for artists and they've got like, it's an amazing platform. They have all kinds of uh, articles that help artists get connected and find work. And anyways, they've got a million different things on there. And I pitched them this idea because, you know, we were a year into the pandemic and it's like, we're all suffering from some kind of symptom right? Like whether, whether things are like in my life, all things considered, it's pretty good, right? Like people are out there working in hospitals and it's like, we're all dealing with a different version of like our own personal hell. And so I pitched them this idea, how to find affordable um, therapy specifically in Ontario. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I just found a bunch of resources that I thought were really helpful and put it together. I just think, you know, I, I think our parents' generation, like my mom's generation, there's a lot of resistance when it comes to therapy. And um, I have friends who really aren't interested in it and that's totally fine. But I, but I really think it's like, if you go to the gym and you take care of your body and you eat well, and like you, you recognize that there are things that benefit you and make you feel better. I don't, 
you know, your brain is an organ in your body. It's, it needs to be like treated that way, you know? So I don't know. And honestly, for me, I, I know like my journey into therapy was like, I started, um, dating somebody and I like really wanted it to work. And I kept like hitting a wall and, uh, finding myself repeating all these patterns from like a previous relationship. And I was like, Oh, this is something. And then it's like, I went into therapy kind of with the goal of fixing this thing. And then of course, like you start unraveling your childhood and like how you were raised and all of these things. And, and it was just life changing for me. So I, I, I'm such a believer in it. I think it's great. That is so amazing. Uh, Thank you for sharing that story. I mean, like, I know that there's so many people that uh, either listen to this podcast or like that we both know personally that would benefit from uh, a resource like that. Um, Also, yeah, yeah, the the thing that you said that really stuck out was the, uh, that people don't, if you go to the gym and you exercise your body, your brain is an organ. That's unbelievable. I never thought about it like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I don't know. Like, I don't think it looks the same for everybody. Like for a long time, I was going to therapy once a week, certain periods of my life, I was going twice a week. Mm -hmm. And then I got to a point where my therapist recently, where we were talking like once a month and I was like, I just feel really disconnected. And like, I feel comfortable saying this to her, but I was like, I feel very disconnected during our sessions. And I, I'm not sure why, like, I feel like I'm tuning out. And she's like, honestly, I think you're just happier now than you were before. So we don't need to talk that frequently. So now we're talking once every six weeks or so, and that feels good for me. But knowing that in moments where I feel like I'm in a mode of crisis, I have this like impartial person who knows my story that I can go to and be like, Hey, I really need a sounding board. And she's there for me, you know, which I think is so valuable. It's like pretty amazing because your friends care about you, your family care about you, but everybody in it, they, whether they, whether you like it or not, everyone has some kind of an agenda. And so it's hard not to like impose that on people when you're giving them advice. Whereas like, I think a therapist is not doing that. Yeah. Oh my God. That's, it's so true. And some people learn that at different points in their life. Like I was going to bring up my mom. So my, my mom lost both of her parents last year, lost both my grandparents last year within like six months of each other, just absolutely fucking brutal. Yeah, and, uh, and the grieving process is something that I'm new to. And, uh, you know, obviously my mom's experiencing that 10 times more than anybody mm-hmm. else is. Um, but she's still, and, and I totally respect her decision to not get a therapist, but like you said, it's a different generation yeah. and they're so resistant to it, but it's like, I can see this kind of I I truly believe that like talking to somebody would help you and then she like got on the phone because she gets it free through work and then she got on the phone with somebody she's like see I don't like the way that they were talking to me like that she's like why wouldn't you say this and I'm like you know I I know I'm like when people have that experience I'm like of course like how many people did did you date that sucked before you found someone that was a good match for you like therapy and it's like no shade to your mom because obviously that's like most people's experience I like I think I I saw like four or five therapists before I met a therapist that I really connected with and it's like of course like every human being is there's no formula that works in one way and it is funny like I have had you know, family members, like not, not like my immediate family, because they're super supportive of of me, and especially when it comes to therapy and stuff. But I have like extended family who kind of are like, oh, like, it's weird. I think they find it strange that I'm so vocal about it, or that I do talk about therapy openly. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I was talking to my therapist about whatever. And I'm like, so it's like, you almost as if you get punished for taking responsibility for yourself. Yeah. And it's like, instead of shying away from stuff that is harming me, I'm choosing to face it head on and be like, and I'm not perfect. I know it's hard to believe, but I'm not perfect. <laughs> and so it's like, these things are, are, are so, it's such a process. Like it takes so long. And like on the days where I'm like, oh, I have nothing to talk about. That's when I feel like we do the most work, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. 
no, um, on the days where you feel like you don't have, and the thing that you said about, it doesn't, because you're signing up for therapy, it doesn't have to be lifelong. Like you said, like you can touch base with somebody who is literally just a sounding board for your life. Someone who's neutral and you can bounce ideas off of yeah. and talk to, and they know the ins and outs of your life. Yeah. Like that's yeah, such totally. an amazing yeah. resource. That's incredible. That's like, it's like they're a dictionary for parts of your life that you don't understand things that you need to like. And kind of like, I think I am somebody who I, I need to hear, how do I explain this? Like, I may come to the conclusion, but even if I come to the conclusion on my own, it's like hearing my therapist validate that. And I'm working on becoming more independent in that thinking, but hearing a professional validate my experience and be like, oh, actually it's totally normal that you had that reaction or that you're trying to get out of this or whatever it might be. Then I'm like, I give myself permission to then move on from it. Whereas before I would just kind of sit in it forever and just be like angry and hurt and sad. And now I'm like, oh, you know what? I actually am ready to move on from this. And part of that is because I've been able to vocalize it to somebody. Right. You know? Oh my God. That you just, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, maybe there's somebody listening to this and, and you know, somebody who needs a therapist would probably be like, you pay somebody a hundred dollars just to like validate what you already know. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I need, right? It's like somebody else might be like, oh, I, I need to like understand from a medical perspective what this is, you know? Right. And the thing is like, there is so many kinds of therapy. Like I've only really experienced talk therapy with a psychotherapist. I think she's a psychotherapist. I forgot. I think she's a psychotherapist. And it's, you know, we look at something and we talk it through and I sort of try to find like the thread of where it all began. And then by putting those pieces together, it's easier for me to spot patterns and be like, oh, actually, I'm not going to make that decision this time. So that's something that's working for me. But like, there are so many avenues that you can try like CBT and all, like I talked a little bit about those things in the article, but it's like, there are like, maybe therapy is just like going and having like one three hour session with somebody for you. It can be so different for so many people. Right. I just think that there is this like, this is sort of related, but not related. I have like pretty severe back stuff that um, is very painful. And I've had it since I was a teen and it's sometimes not manageable and sometimes it is. And it's just a chronic pain. I won't bore you with the details, but it's like, I've been talking to doctors since I was like a really young teen about this. And every doctor has been like, well, just take a few pills every day, like take Advil every day. We have, you know, nerve blocking medic, like nerve pain medication that you can take, which is like, these things are horrible for you. They like destroy your organs. They're so bad for you. You know, you can do this and that and the other thing. And then I recently started talking to a naturopath about something and then she recommended this osteopath and I went and I tried osteo and it's like for the first time in, in like 16 years, I have relief from pain and it is this sort of like unconventional way of approaching it. And so I think it's sort of that we get into this mentality of Western thinking, which is very much like this hurts, take a pill, like And it's the same thing with our mental health. Mm -hmm. Like so many people in our parents' generation take medication. And actually that's not really fair for me to say like anti-anxiety and antidepressant are, those are like super valuable. And and I'm not trying to say that, you know, but there has to be some level of, I think, like talking it out Mm -hmm. and just figuring out what makes sense for you. Right. You know? Right. Also, like without the talking part, you, it's hard to decide on what kind of medication to take, what's appropriate for you. Like yeah. it's just a necessary part of it, but a lot of people, um, have a hard time. And again, I think it's more previous generations. I, I do see some young people, but have a hard time admitting that there's a problem yeah. to begin yeah, with. Totally. You know what I mean? Like they can't fathom that there would be something so wrong with them that they'd have okay. to go and talk to a therapist or whatever. 
Yeah. Um, and that in and of itself is just an issue, but. Yeah, I think so. Cause it's not like anyone's, like the thing that would make the thing that would make me the horniest on a first date is if a guy was like, yeah, and my therapist was, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's taking responsibility. It's taking responsibility. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Totally. I think that's what yeah. is it, 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 not to like veer courses a little bit, but did, is that something that your now boyfriend said to you? I mean, he's, he's so funny. He's like, uh, yeah, he is somebody who's like such a huge advocate for therapy. And he kind of like how I am right now, he has somebody kind of like in his back pocket at all times. They don't have a standing, like I for three years had a standing appointment every week with my therapist. And now we've kind of like reduced the amount of time that we see each other, but he's in the same position where he's like, oh yeah, I have someone that when I'm feeling overwhelmed, like I just make an appointment and we talk and then I feel better. Yeah. And so it's just like not having to do that work for somebody. What a dream. Yeah. You know? Totally. Like just, I love that that's, you know, because how many people have I dated that I'm like, oh my God, go talk to somebody. Yeah. Like, I haven't, because as much as I want, like, I, I of course want the best for you, but what my version of the best for you is and what your version of the best for you is are probably not the same. Yeah. You know, like if, um, if you ask like my mom and my brother and my boyfriend and my friends what they want for me, it's all going to look sort of the same, but there will be different pieces for each of them because it's going to be a reflection of who they are. Right. You know, so right. when you take that out of the equation, I mean, right. it's so that's so smart and important and you articulate it so well. Um, oh my God. It's just so digestible the way that you, that, that you frame it is that it, it's going to be biased. It's going to be from yeah. their opinion. And when you yeah. are talking to a registered therapist, they completely remove that. So it's coming from an yeah. unbiased place. And, and, and it's not, of, yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember when I first talked to my like early on in my relationship with my therapist, I remember being like, it's so weird that I don't know anything about you. And that's not everyone's experience with their relationship, but I know very little about my therapist. And the only time I've ever learned anything about her that's like significant about her personality or her personal life, I've found out by accident. Like mm -hmm. she had to cancel once because of something in her personal life that was like really exciting, but she had to cancel. And so she had to tell me why. Mm -hmm. And one time she was talking to another uh like client as I was as she was leaving and I was like oh she speaks a different language so just things like and I remember asking her I was like it's so weird that I come here every week and I don't know anything about you and she's like yeah and we have to keep it that way otherwise and that's not every not every therapist but for our relationship that's what works best because She's like, we're not actually here to talk about me. And if we start talking about me, then that's going to influence the way that we perceive each other. And so, and, and again, you know, like I, I know people who are like, oh, my therapist, like they use examples in their own life, but she just doesn't operate that way. And that works really well for me because right. otherwise I think I would be worried about what she's thinking of me, you know? Right. right. So, yeah. yeah. That's so <laughs> ideal. That's so... Yeah amazing the best. god I love that so much um no it's 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 so true and I, I love it and I love talking about it because it's um it's and the thing that you said about about people um giving you advice or you giving yourself advice that you know is correct but having to hear it from somebody else there was a so I deal with OCD that's like my thing and the thing that's so uh annoying and tricky about OCD is that it evolves it changes and it's hard to recognize the longer that it goes undiagnosed the harder uh it is for you yourself to understand what it is because right, first right. it like it started, exactly first it was uh first it was like counting and i'll give you an example this is like it's kind of like eerie um specific i'll use this candle for so if i'm like putting this down on a table it has to land flat it couldn't like, it couldn't like wiggle or move yeah. or anything okay. like that. And it was like really specific things. Um, because then I thought that something bad would happen to like myself right. or my family. Like it right. wasn't like, and that's it. And that's the thing that is so frustrating too about, um, 
especially the way that mental health is sometimes depicted in media and like TV yeah. shows. Yeah. It's usually not the focal point of the issue. And because it's kind of in passing, it can be kind yeah. of misconstrued. And they're like, a lot of the times like OCD in TV shows is like a clean freak or, or like Monica Geller who just yeah. like has weird phobias. She hates right. sand. It's like, no, that's just somebody who it's hates not OCD. Like, that's not yeah, OCD. Yeah. OCD is like misrepresentation. Like, <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. Totally. it's like monica's she doesn't have to count to 20 before she steps on the sand like right. it's a very different thing and so first it started off with counting then it started then it there were like other weird meticulous things that i would do and then there was one point that it just didn't it wasn't uh i didn't express it outwardly anymore and then it was just like mentally and right. when it's so in your head and you don't see it coming right. out physically Right. It's that much harder to be able to articulate because then you really start thinking yeah. that there's something wrong with you and you don't yeah. trust yourself. And it's like this, it, there's just so many tears to it. Yeah. Um, and when you, and when you feel yeah. that and it's such a, a, an intimate part of your psyche, you're like, okay, on so, like you've probably for a long time believed that everyone has a version yeah. of this. And then when you realize like, oh, this is unique to me in some ways, even though it's, you know, you can diagnose it, it's still unique to your experience. Yeah. Then it becomes frustrating because you're like, well, now I don't know how to relate to other people. Or I don't know how to talk about this in a way that even I can understand it. Yeah, which exactly. Is, which is frustrating. Right. And then there's a lot of shame around it because you're just like, man, this is such a weird thing. Like, I don't even know. I don't know what, like, I had never heard about it before. So like right. what was going on mentally? I was like this, like, I'm going to get admitted to Cam H. I'm not going to be able to see my family. Like, it's going to be so weird. Right. Um, and then it took like having a serious like spell of insomnia over it uh, for me to tell my dad who then told me that he had the exact same thing and it's actually genetic. And like, he was wow. so helpful in like coaching me through it and everything. And he oh would God. say things that like literally a therapist would say. Wow, that's um, incredible. Yeah, it was, it was insane to learn about it. And just yeah. to know that something can also be genetically linked to you makes you feel yeah, totally. like an outsider. You feel like, less helpless. Yeah, totally. My, my brother and I have recently, like my brother is really vocal about his experience with with his mental health and his um, journey with therapy. And it is interesting how, cause we only have one parent. So there is this like half of our identity that I think both of us are often like, where does that come from? Because we don't know our, I mean, like we don't really know our dad. And so it's tricky because it's like, sometimes I'm just like, I feel like such an alien. And then I'm like, no, I just haven't seen this portion of myself reflected in somebody else. And so it's not that it's uh, like alien to me. It's just that I'm trying to understand it in a way that I don't like I would when I see my mom do things and I reflect those things. I'm like, oh, I can totally understand where that comes from. And my brother and I have like really similar. Um, I don't know what to call it, but like we respond to things in a very similar way, in a very similar way. And I recognize that that's our genetics. Mm. You know, and that we just, even though we're such, we're fundamentally such different people, we have very different personalities and we have very different lives, but we have the same types of anxieties and we respond to things in the same way. And we have the same type of thinking around certain things. So it is interesting to see how we connect and it is in like what you're saying in this genetic way. Right. That's so interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's crazy. I mean, I could talk about this with you forever because yeah. I feel like there's just so much to, yeah, to talk exactly. about, but just for the sake of time, yeah. I kind of have some other things that I wanted to ask you. So, okay. So right now for me, um, something that I was talking about in therapy was I have a lot of anxiety around dating because I know that there's many different attachment styles. You're familiar with the attachment styles? I think so. Kind of. Yeah. I know. I, I feel like I've heard some, yeah. just something general. Yeah. I've seen a few YouTube videos. Um, and I was like, maybe I'm a, a certain type, and I've wanted to get a therapist on the podcast for a while to yeah. talk about the attachment styles, try to place me in an attachment style. But I have a lot of anxiety around dating because I'm just like, I feel like it's, it's harder for female comedians 
for a reason. And I think it's because we're funny. Mm-hmm. We need intellectual simulation a yeah. lot. I feel like I matured quicker than most guys my age. So there's yeah. that too. And it's like any guy that's like 30 or like 35, like maybe yeah. Is yeah. too old for me. So it's like, it's just like, I'm just going through this really weird thing right now anyway. And it was just giving me a lot of anxiety. So I like yeah. brought it up in therapy and I found out that I have a secure attachment, which is crazy. Cause I'm like, Oh, I thought I was the problem. Cause like, I just feel like nobody's um, really clicking Right. And maybe it's me because you're just like, well, what's the changing variable? It's like, I really like, no, like there's not one person that you've gone right. on dates with that like right. is working. Uh, so I just wanted to ask you, what was something that when you met your boyfriend made you feel secure or like, what was the kind of, was there like an aha moment or was it just like a whole thing right. together? Is he supportive of your comedy? Did that play a role in it? Like yeah, what, totally. yeah, what, what went down? Oh my God. It's so funny to think about. Cause like, we met um like I had I had gone through a breakup in like the I, I think it's like the third week of July and then I met him like the second week of August and my whole plan was like oh I'm just absolutely not interested in any kind of relationship for the next like five years I don't want to date anyone I just you know and then I remember we went on one date And the whole time I was being like a whack job because I I didn't think he was interested in me. And because he's very mellow and I'm hyper and like, you know, super chatty on dates. And I was like, well, I'm never going to see this guy again. So that's fine. And then when we were leaving, I was like, oh, there's a vibe. It's just different. Mm. And And then it kind of like took me by surprise. And I think what it was with with my boyfriend was just that, um, there was absolutely no shame in anything that we talked about. And that was really a big thing for me because I think um, it's hard for me to articulate. It's like I came, I would come to him with something and then I would be really scared to share it. And he immediately would be like, oh, not only do you not have to be afraid of sharing that with me, but here, why don't I share something with you? that I think of it is like my version of equal value and not that he, and, and like, we certainly don't do that anymore. Like we just share on an ongoing basis, but there was something about him just being really forthcoming with everything in his life and um, like all his relationships and, and just, there was nothing that made me feel scared. And then like early on in our relationship, like, I made a lot of mistakes. I mean, it's not that I made a lot of mistakes, but I did a lot of things where I was like, ooh, these are old patterns. And instead of being like, uh, ooh, I'm going to hide this from you, I would just come to him with everything and he would be like, okay, that's fine. We can totally work through that. That's no problem. Wow. Nothing like, nothing like, you know, I didn't kill anybody. But I just mean like, there was stuff that I would harbor a lot of shame around in, in past relationships that I was, I felt comfortable being really honest about. And he never, ever, ever once in the entirety of our relationship made me feel ever bad, guilty, shame, any of that stuff, which is like, feels like it should be standard practice, right? you know? And as somebody who I think has carried a lot of, a lot of shame in my life, like that's something that I really work on in therapy. Um, you know, like my relationships with men have, have been deeply complicated my whole life because I didn't have a father through, like, I never had a father figure. And so it was really challenging for me to be like, how do I categorize the men in my life? You know, like there's friends, there's people you flirt with, there's like, you know, and it was really hard for me to separate. And then I would just hook up with everybody. (laughs) Got you. Yeah. So then it's like when you're trying to separate those things, it becomes really muddy and really complicated. Right. I don't know if that answered your question, but no, that makes uh, that honestly, uh, thank you for sharing that. Like that's, um, and you know, I do think it is hard. Like you're like a sense of humor for me is it's pretty much number one. Like it's really hard to have a good time with somebody for me and probably for you as a comedian, there has to be, an elevated sense of humor and it doesn't mean it has to be sophisticated but a sense of humor that matches yours like it's very hard 
to yeah. find something like that. And, and I feel very lucky that I have that with my boyfriend, but it's like, you know, I would go on dates and be like, okay, like, yeah, I guess I could keep seeing you, but like, I know I'm the funnier person in this situation. And like, I can't do this forever. Yeah. I can't like carry this forever. And it is hard because as women, you have to be, when you do stand up, you have to be the funniest person because if you bomb, everyone's like, well, you, they bombed because they're women. You know, right. and that's a lot of pressure. Right. Uh, that's just a whole other issue that I could talk about. Like the, yeah, the amount of, there, there, it, <laughs> I mean, we can't even do stand up shows. We can't, there, if there's more than three women on a lineup, then it's ladies' yeah. night. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it has a completely yeah, yeah, yeah. different title or it's for International Women's Day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know. And, and then if you're the only woman on the lineup, there's people in the audience that are going to see you and we, you know, have their arms crossed. And it's now the, the weight of all female comedians is on your, they see one yeah. bad female act and they're just like, like, well, all the like women. it's like we know <laughs> yeah we can uh, yeah yeah it's 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 really tough and so it's like there is this um and honestly like it's not to knock like people who have traditional jobs but it's very hard to tell somebody like obviously this is i'm talking pre-covid but it's very hard to tell someone like hey so i'm gonna spend all my evenings in a bar with a bunch of guys and you're not invited. So don't come yeah. until I tell you to come. And yeah. then I don't want to talk about it after, you know? Exactly. And then I don't want to talk about it after or, um, or I do, but then as soon as I don't want to talk about it anymore, we have to start. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And yeah. like, will be part of the subject matter. Like I told my boyfriend, I was like, you can't come see me until I feel ready. And when I feel ready, I don't want to know that you're coming. Just show up yeah and, and we'll never talk about it again and I'm and yeah. he is extremely supportive um and I'm very lucky you know that I get to like just do but like you know now it's like we're a year and a half into this and it, it feels so far away but right, that's right. but that's that's the thing that I'm so that like when I'm dating <laughs> that I get confused about because it's so hard to find somebody yeah. Because when you tell a guy that you don't know, each other. <laughs> exactly. As soon as I mentioned that I do stand up comedy, I, I think they yeah. picture like uh, like a woman from like the eighties, yeah, yes. like walk, yeah. jump, like walking around, like jumping around in like a like a, like a massive suit and like yeah. or, like yelling or something. I, I don't know what they imagine. Yeah. Um, I but like, I do think that a lot of people think it's like fun and it's like such a novelty at first. Yeah. But the reality is like, you're gonna be so busy. Like if you're taking stand-up seriously, you're very busy yeah. because you don't get paid most of the time. And when you do, yeah. it's certainly not paying for your life. And so yeah. you have to constantly like be finding other sources of income and doing stand-up full time. Like it's, it's chaotic. And so, when you're trying to explain that to someone at first they're like cool and then a week later they're like this sucks like I want to hang out with you when <laughs> right. I'm work at 6 p.m and it's like okay right. well I'm leaving the house to go start my job now yeah so, exactly it's hard and that's the thing that I, I get confused about because there will be there could be nothing else that aligns on this date but if you are supportive and you think my job is cool, then I think yeah. that automatically I should just can keep going on dates with you. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's, just, that's literally the bare minimum. Like I am. It is the bare minimum. Like to ask somebody to be invested yeah. in in your life or to like in like like your life. Like that's just such a basic yeah. thing, and it blows my mind every time. I'm like, yeah, but he likes Whitney Cummings. And I'm like, right. oh shit. Right. Yeah. yeah. I have like. And I love them, don't get me wrong, but I have friends in Montreal and they have like more nine to five jobs. And I always laugh whenever like I get a text or like, like we have this group time. We always like send each other messages. It's very sweet. But sometimes they'll be like, happy Friday. And I'm like, I have no idea it was Friday. Like I have no <laughs> yeah. concept of like weekends or, and part of that is just like where we're at with COVID. But part of it is just like, I haven't had that type of right. like traditional job in so long. Yeah. That it can be like, yeah, I think it can be like fun for people at first. And then they're like, oh yeah, this is exhausting. 
see I'm experiencing the opposite where like they don't even think it's fun like they just think that you're insane like they're like you like okay like they either think it's really cool and are like blowing out of proportion or uh just think you're an insane person you're like or or, like they're always putting on like they think like oh she's always gonna be doing bits or like she's probably gonna be like yeah you know what I mean make you laugh yeah (laughs) exactly that's not funny sorry And that's hard. It's hard because it's like, you want to laugh with someone. Yeah. There's like always a, a, an expectation that you, you are, is not realistic. Like if somebody yeah. tells you that they're like accounting, you're just like, okay. Okay. That has nothing to do with your personality. But like, right. if you tell them that you're an actor, even they're like, okay, well, yeah. your act is not your personality, but then you say comedian. It's just like a whole different level of like, yeah. Yeah, 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 insight yeah, yeah. into who you are in their opinion it's like no like I, I'm also like I'm somebody on stage but I'm also like a person yeah. on stage. like I'm not this you know what I mean oh totally like and that's something that actually my boyfriend said to me once and I at first I was offended and then I was like no that is true he was like it's interesting to see your persona on stage and I was like oh, no like I'm trying to be my most authentic self and it's like but of course that's not my most authentic self like in conversation, I'm not doing any of those things. Yeah. Like I'm always self-conscious when I come on, if I record a podcast, I'm always self-conscious because I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be funny. Like some guests are really funny. No, nope. but that's just not like, I love writing jokes and I love performing jokes and I love to laugh with my friends, but I'm not going to be like, bada bing. No, you know I and mean? so I, I, I hate that to be honest with you, because it's like, I, I want to get to know you and somebody's on stage, you're seeing a, like a a heightened version of themselves. You're not really seeing the real, the the 100% real them. You're seeing a version of them. Uh, So I always like when people come on this podcast and that's something that I get insecure about too. If I do a podcast, I'm like, oh, maybe I wasn't funny, like funny enough. And it's like, but I'm a real person. And I don't, I know that I'm funny. I don't care to prove it through conversation. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Totally. It's like everybody's funny in their own way. And like, I always appreciate, I love when, and, and that's the thing too about dating. They're just like, some. sometimes they like to be the funny person in the relationship, right. man. Jerry Seinfeld said, I mean, I don't like Jerry Seinfeld, but he did say something interesting once. He was like, all men think they're funny in the same way that all women think that they can interior design. And that <laughs> threw me off. And I was like, what the fuck? All men really think that they're kind of funny? That's crazy. Yeah, and it's like, I have news for you. Not only is that not true, but most of you aren't. <laughs> like, it, that's crazy yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. That's it, is, it is intense. It's like, so, and then I've dated, but then I like, I've dated guys for like long stretches of time who didn't think I was funny. Mm. And then like, I'm like, oh, that's deeply problematic too. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like, you don't have to like my standup. Like that's, that's fine. Like, like standup is so subjective. I mean, it would suck to like. No, you have to like my standup. Yeah, like it would be so, like, yeah. I'm like, I don't know if, if my boyfriend likes my standup. I have no idea. It's probably not like what he would put on. If he yeah, 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 yeah. Watch something. But yeah. he will be like, oh, I really love how you wrote this or like how you changed this or whatever. Like he's very observant. Right. Um, but like I dated people who were like stone-faced during the entire, like I, I lived with a man for like a year and he didn't think I was funny. And it's like, no, that's a problem. Yeah, that's a big problem. That's weird. You that's know? very weird. Yeah, for sure. 100%. When you're not uh, like, on that same page, that's weird. Yeah, totally. I just think the expectation is always that like they they would be the funnier ones or whatever. And I'm like, I kind of like not, I would prefer, I'm not even that talkative on dates. Like I'm really right. not talkative. I'm not trying to make jokes. Like I don't, dates I'm are negative. Cool. I'm definitely negative, but I'm not <laughs> trying to like always make you laugh. You know what I mean? Absolutely not uh because yeah it's just whatever the expectation is do you let your boyfriend read your wait okay so because we're <laughs> I could talk to you forever but I realize we're running out of time and I still want to ask about letter Kenny yeah so you got this amazing opportunity to write for letter Kenny um everybody who's listening to this everybody knows letter Kenny as a show obviously um what what is what was your whole experience um writing for them how did you get into it how did you decide that this was something you wanted to do tell me honestly it's been such a wild ride I 
I, to this day, don't even really know how I got that job. Love it. And it's really interesting because I never, I, it's my first TV writing job and I didn't have experience. And I'm learning after the fact that this is something that's intentional for them. Like they don't like Letterkenny as a production. They don't have a writer's room. They've never had a writer's room. They hire writers independently to come in and like basically do contract work. So Olivia and I were approached, uh, Olivia, who you know, and probably- Olivia Stadler, another comedian. Very funny comedian. Um, She and I were approached about co-writing one episode of Letterkenny and it's uh, an International Women's Day themed episode. So I, first of all, love that Jared Kiso, who's the creator and one of the stars of the show, he was like, he has a lot of writers on staff, but he was like, hey, I'm gonna get these women to come and write this episode, which I think is great. And and to his credit, he's like, we like to hire writers that don't necessarily have experience because A, it's, I mean, they've built a lot of careers that way. And also it gives, the voice of Letterkenny is so specific. Like anyone who watches the show knows it's such a, it's such a specific voice that it's kind of like, you don't necessarily have to have that writing experience because Jared infuses his voice into all of the scripts. So we came in and we workshopped this idea with Jared, then we wrote it and he was happy with that. So he asked us to punch up a couple episodes and then it turned into a contract where we punched up uh, two seasons, which was amazing. And I mean, I can't express like what an incredible process it is to work with Jared and and the whole team at Letterkenny because they're so that's the type of relationship where it's like there's no micromanaging happening so we're we're able to be really open and free with our ideas and there's no shame that happens which is something like I don't know like when I do stand up sometimes when I'm killing I'm killing because there's an audience that is somewhat receptive. If they're somewhat receptive, then I will like, but I really struggle when a, an audience is closed. I mean, obviously that's everyone's experience, but like there are comics who are really good at turning something like that around. I'm like, oh, you don't like me? Okay, well, I'll just go fuck myself then. <laughs> that's my whole vibe like during my set. And I feel like it's the same thing with writing. Like if I'm throwing ideas out there and someone's like, no, no, no. It's like, even if they don't, I don't know. It's hard to explain. There's just this receptivity that is so nurturing as a writer. Right. And yeah, I, I mean, it's a dream come true. I can't believe I get to write for that show. It's, it's so much fun. That's so incredible. Yeah. And um, it's fun. Like it's not, yeah. you know, we get to go write jokes. Like I get to go say dick jokes and like, it's yeah. fun, you know, so that's, that is so fun. And the thing um, that's so interesting, uh, is that you always want to work for people that I feel like you can somewhat see yourself in, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Because I feel like it allows for more of that, like encouragement, whether, uh, you know, it's intentional or not, Yeah. but you always want to, um, I guess align yourself with people that are nurturing towards your style of comedy yeah. or your creative style yeah yeah that's it's hard to come by it is really hard to come by and I think like um you have to have a really thick skin in this in like you know all arts based things because there's a lot of rejection and it's something that I don't have and that I'm working on um but I think what's been really nice is that there's been this very nurturing experience which gave me the confidence to be like okay, you know what? I had never read a full script before. Now I've read so many and it like has opened other doors for me, which is great, you know? And I just like, yeah, I can't, there's, there is a lot of value in taking chances on people, I think, you know, cause Olivia and I didn't know what we were doing. And so we were very unapologetic in the way that we submitted work and that worked in our favor. Right. You know? I was, uh, that's so interesting that you said there's something that is, uh, some, there's something that I, even with standup that I've been trying to get back to, it's like, you've been doing this for a long time. It's like, I have to remind myself to go back to that headspace that I was when I first started and everything was new and you just love being new at this thing because there were no rules. Like understand the industry. You didn't understand the kind of do's and don'ts. 
you were just doing it because you it was just this new thing yeah totally. and and tapping into that especially when you're writing for tv or like you're writing your own pilot or whatever yeah I think it's so important to do things like that uh, literally just like on your own and then get somebody else's opinion on it yeah. and then maybe they because like for when sure. people start touching things that you do you just like it, they kind of like make it a little it's bit hard it's so hard to collaborate like collaborating yeah. is a really like specific skill and it doesn't work for everyone obviously and it doesn't work for all rooms and it's so specific right yeah. and yeah. so it's like yeah there's something about just like getting your getting I'm I'm an I'm an easily influenced person like if somebody says to me like let's say I pass a script off to a friend for notes then whatever they say I take as as like God's word I'm like well now I have to change it and it's like no you don't you yeah. ask for those notes you have to be open to hearing criticism which is very different and that can be really challenging like I will hear those things and just assume that that means I did it incorrectly. And it's yeah. like, well, just because it didn't jive with someone, but, and then of course, having enough self-awareness to be like, don't be precious about your work. Cause that's when you get into trouble when you're keeping things because you like them. And you think like when you're writing jokes for the sake of writing jokes, but not moving the story forward, you yeah. have to take those out, even if they're funny. Right. You know? Or in my opinion. Right. Totally. So it's like not being precious about your work, which is hard. <laughs> yeah it is hard because a lot of people feel uh emotionally connected to it have you read the book the art uh the war of art yeah yeah amazing book I love it in it they said that there was like a chapter about uh differentiating between the amateur and the pro right and they said that you have to be disconnected from your work at like writing it you're connected to it and then after you put it into the universe to be interpreted you're now disconnected from it right. and you're an observer you're looking at it from a third person perspective as well right it's true it's true I recently started working as a freelancer for this company called Coverfly and they're basically a platform for writers and one of the services that they offer is script reading services so I'll get a script and for a fee, I read it and I offer like really in-depth notes. So we cover like structured dialogue, concept, characters, everything. And they don't, they don't know who I am, what my gender is, what I look like, where I, they don't know anything about me and I don't know anything about them. It's a completely blind submission. So that I think is like the, one of the best ways to get your work because again it's sort of like going back to what we're talking about with therapy like when you're reading your friend's scripts you're cautious in the way that you give them notes right because you you want them to be successful but you also don't want to say like hey you have a character that's in half your show that it doesn't need to be there right like yeah. that's a hard thing to say to somebody because then right. they have to rewrite their whole script yeah and so it's kind of like that objectivity where you have to be willing to hear those things in order to make it better and and what you're saying is exactly right it's like when you you have to be able to disconnect from your work otherwise you're just going to be sitting in this like merry-go-round forever and not actually change yes totally and that to me is the huge factor in people that get better at it and people that don't get better at it right right you have to be open to criticism yeah. you also have right. to be critical of your own work not in a way that's like sick and yeah. obsessive that's so like i I went through a phase where I was just like, every, this, I'm sick of this. This is good. Like everybody goes through phases like that. And it's good. It's good. And yeah. it's the same thing with stand up, right? Like if like, and it's not to be an asshole, but it's like, sometimes you watch people and you're like, oh, I've only ever seen you do that set. And it's a good set. But if that's the only joke that you do, then you're in trouble because there's no evolution. Like bombing sucks, but it's the only way that you grow. Right. Failure is the only way that you grow. And I'm saying this as somebody who, notoriously gets scared and then does tried and true material because I don't want to bomb because it's uncomfortable. But it's like, I do recognize that not taking risks lands you in the same place every single time. Yeah. And totally. you have like, I mean, it's the only way to evolve, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> it's a painful process. What's your um, inner monologue? How much time do you have by the way? Cause I know it's three o'clock. Right. Um, um, talk a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, okay. we'll wrap it up like another five minutes. I'll just ask you this one question. Yeah, What's yeah. your um, inner monologue like when it comes to your own work? Are you like, for me, for a long time, 
like a very long time. I'm talking about like until this pandemic, yeah. it was like very high highs, but then like very low lows. Yeah. And I was just trying to find some kind of middle yeah. ground. Um, yeah. It's like I either, and the thing is I, I put a lot of emphasis on what people yes. think about my work and not everyone, but like very specific. There's yeah. maybe th- like, you know, people that you respect. Yeah. Are, I care if they think I'm funny or not. I care about what they think about jokes yeah. Yeah. and, uh, and putting all of that, your, your worth on something that's like external and that's kind of yeah. out of your control can leave you yeah. feeling very empty. And that's something that I'm only realizing yeah. now. Do you have a similar problem or are you more? Yeah, totally. I would say almost identical. Like I, I, my highs are really high and my lows are really low. I'm either, when I was doing stand-up full-time, like full-time in that, like I was doing it every day, I, I would either be like, oh my God, I'm totally going to do this for the rest of my life. And then literally the next set, I would be like, I'm never doing this again, forget it. Like in one night, it could totally oscillate. Um, it's hard because although comedy is objective, you are relying on external sources to validate you. Mm-hmm. you th- it's the whole point of it is to get people to laugh. It's this like immediate um, response. Like that's what's so fascinating about standup is that like you could write a joke in the morning and test it out at night. Right. Whereas like when you write a script, like you're working on it for so long and then sometimes nothing ever happens to it. Sometimes it never sees the light of day, right? So it's very different because you get an immediate reaction, um, which I think is great and horrible all at once. Cause sometimes jokes die when they shouldn't and they need more time. Yeah, I, I live off of compliments. Like I, when I, I'm so shy about it, but it's like, if I don't hear anything then I'm like, okay, this is a pr- like, I've done something wrong, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. it's tough because there is such a learning curve when you're writing a joke, like it takes, I was recently watching like old sets um, and being like, at the time being like, why didn't this joke work? And now watching it a year later, I'm like, because it didn't make, like I un- I understand what I was thinking when I wrote it, but when I hear it out loud, I'm like, well, no, it didn't make sense the way that you said it. Mm-hmm. So it can be really hard not to, yeah, not to just get totally discouraged. Yeah. Yeah. But there, and then that's when the thing comes in of being disconnected from it at the same time, you're just like, okay, yes, it's personal because I wrote this. It's about my life. Yeah. It's something that I think is funny. And a room of people literally just denied me of that. Right. Um, but that's where you have to be like, it, it either makes you want to work harder or not. Right. If it doesn't make you want to work harder, then I think that that's a problem because it should, it should motivate you to do it should motivate you yeah to want to get to the other side of it yeah but it's hard because it feels like shit and you're like why is this so fucking hard and some days it's not some days it's not hard but I totally like yeah I there are people that I'm like oh I really 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 value your opinion and so it can be hard when you don't like get a reaction out of those people because you're just like okay should I just quit this now (laughs) yeah (laughs) totally oh god yeah 100% but coming out of this pandemic I'm hoping to change that because I'm like literally working I know that it's a problem and it has become a problem because it makes you feel physically uncomfortable yeah for sure and when that happens it time for and you see comics who like whether they kill or they bomb yeah. they're not waiting for your they're, like if you were to compliment them or whatever they'd be like okay yeah. thanks like they don't give a shit they're yeah. just like I didn't do it for you so yeah. it doesn't like thanks but I'm not interested in your opinion and it's like okay I would love to live in that world you know yeah <laughs> see I I live in that world for the opposite reason which is I'm just like yeah but what do you know it's like right <laughs> been doing it for like 15 years like what are you talking about <laughs> uh, there have been times where people have given me compliments and I just fully disappear for the rest of the night. They're like, did I put her in a bad mood or something? I don't know. Like I have to go hide. I will see you later. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Anyway, Ali, thank you so much for doing this podcast. Can you tell people where they can find you on social media? Is there anything that you want to plug at the end? 
Nothing to plug. <laughs> when is, when is the, uh, what seasons did you write on for Letterkenny? When are they uh, I wrote on 10 and 11. So nine just aired, 10 and 11 are going to camera in May. So that'll be out in a while, but the next season of Letterkenny, you'll see our, our little, our little episode. So we're excited about that. Um, you can, I can be found on all social media platforms at Ali underscore Pierce. So that was a huge moment for me when I got all my handles to be the same. I feel That's like massive. I literally paid. There's a really famous Juliana Rodriguez stripper, massive tits, Amazing. gorgeous. And yeah. I'm like, this is who I'm competing with. She's right. my direct competition. She took, has all the domain names right. from Brazil. Yeah, no, I can't compete. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, it's not that you can't compete. It's that you're rising above it. That's all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Perfect. Um, okay, Ellie. Well, uh, thanks again for doing this. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Have a great rest of your day. This has been so fun. I wish I could see you in real life. Me too. And um, yeah, I just can't wait to start doing comedy together and whatnot. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Me too. It was really nice to see you.